What's up, everybody? Super excited to tell you about my course. You guys, it's online. Take it by yourself. Take it with your friends. We talk about all things challenging kids from motivation to discipline to classroom management. It is all there. It is with me. There are modules so you can do it on your own time at your own pace. Check it out. BrianMendler.com right now. See my course there. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Brian Mendler Show. Introducing your host, fighting for kids everywhere, Brian, that one kid, Mendler. What is up, everybody? Brian Mendler back in your life on another edition of the podcast. And today I am joined by a guy who is a teacher, right? Loves work with kids. His name is Josh Roos, coming from Texas, correct? Yes, sir. What's up, my man? It's good to see you. Oh, man, not much. You know, just trying to get through everything. It's the end of the school year. I know behavior problems in the school year have been crazy over the past yeah. two years. So, I mean, I think we got like 14, 15 more days left. So what do you uh, do exactly? Tell everybody what you do. So I am a behavior specialist. I've worked or actually been working with four different school districts. And basically what we do is we try to put systems in place. Like we work with some of the toughest kids in the school district, basically with these different schools we have a group of kids that receive special education services through behavior supports. So the one main goal is to try to build these teams up within the schools to support these kids within the classroom. So that's, that's kind of what I do. And then I, on the back end of stuff, I work, work on writing FBA, BIPs, and then also coaching and mentoring the teachers that are putting, put in the behavior positions. Nice. So I'm curious, like, what made you want to be a behavior guy? Like, did you go through school? Were you a good student? Dude, <laughs> I, I was a good student all the way through. I, I, I didn't really have any behavior problems. You know, the biggest thing that what I wanted to do, I was an athlete. I played baseball, went to college and played baseball. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach. So when I was at the end of the, like, at, towards the end of the finishing up my my bachelor's degree i took some classes where we had to volunteer in the local school districts to kind of get write some papers and turn in those for assignment grades you know i volunteered at a local school district they automatically put me in the behavior unit it, it came out where it was like oh man you're a guy in the elementary school we're gonna put you over here working with some of the toughest kids i didn't really know what i was getting involved in so i ended up in that position, volunteering, and then they wanted me to sub, so I ended up subbing, and then eventually... Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Let me just back you up. So what was that position like? What specifically were you seeing? So basically, I, I was seeing or, or working with a, a, a young boy that just... They used me kind of as like a, like a mentor type person. I never saw any of the back work, any of the paperwork that was involved Basically, I went in, I, I, I just kind of... What were the behaviors, though? I'm saying, what were the behaviors that you were seeing from kids? Oh, during that time, it was kids tearing classrooms up. They were throwing a fit in the hallway, you know, stuff like that. And, and basically, when I was volunteering, 
I wasn't really involved in all the intense, you know, doing containments or anything like that on students. You know, they would just kind of put me in there where if the kid was throwing, had a meltdown, hey, kind of go talk to the kid and try to calm them down. So the biggest thing, what I was involved in was trying to build relationships with the kid. Uh, And it was only on Fridays. And that that was the one big thing was trying to build relationships on with kids one day out of the week was pretty difficult. But I did have one kid that always enjoyed me coming in on Fridays. So it was kind of like one of their their reinforcers for him. Why was it only Fridays? Because that was the only time I could volunteer with the college and all that stuff. That was the only reason why I was on Fridays. So after that. I ended up getting in, involved in substituting, and that's where I kind of experienced every little position within the life skill setting. I did a lot of work in life skill, or I mean, in the special ed setting, I did a lot of work in life skills, any behavior programs that they had on campus, I would I would be involved in that. I finally ended up taking a job as a paraeducator in, in, a, in a behavior program. So that kind of got me in behavior. You know, I was I, I ended up doing a self-containment midway into as a paraeducator because they were, they had a intense kid at the high school level that I, I ended up they ended up moving me over there. That was a whole different experience looking back on that. So the first job was with elementary school kids. You're, yep. you're, you're saying, Rick, which you didn't clarify. And so the next one, you go to a high school self-contained job now as a paraprofessional. Yep. Yep. So okay. And so, what was that like? That that was that was completely different. I was in a room, probably in a room, probably about the size of my office right now, with one student, and they basically gave me every work that this student had to do. And there was there was a lot of struggles with that because you know when you're when you're trying to to teach every subject. Man, I, I, I'm not good at algebra. I'm not, you know, there, there are certain subjects that I'm not good at. Right. I just think looking back, you know, that was like probably 12 years ago. That was a, a system that they put in place that just was not effective. But I was I was young. And- yeah, but that's a system that they have in place all over the place now still. I mean, frequently yeah. when I, self-contained classes, like where there's one or two kids in a class. Yeah. With yeah. one teacher, especially, yeah. usually it's a special ed teacher who yeah. teaches the same kids all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's two ways to do special ed programs, right? There's departmentalization, which is basically the teacher follows the content. I teach, you know, English seven, right. To a, one mm-hmm. group. And then, and you stay in the same content all day. And then there's the other thought process, which is, you stay with the same kids all day, which is yeah. primarily how I did self-contained. And I think it's incredibly challenging because, right, like God himself couldn't teach five different content areas in a day. And that's no. what I was asked to do. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's it, it, it's very difficult. I mean, I don't really think that system works. I, I think there needs to be more money involved into these programs that you're getting different teachers into that classroom teaching different content areas. But, you know, I, I know I've seen where really bad parts of the elementary side of self-contained because we had one. I just didn't see a lot of self-contained at the high school because they really didn't do it. 
as yeah, much. That's good. Um, because it, uh, once it gets to the high school. For the most part, that's good. Again, I don't think there's always and never in education. I think those are the two most dangerous words, the words always and the word never, right? So yeah. I think for the most part, that's good, although there are certain kids that definitely need a smaller environment and more of a, a focused you know, learning experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think what we're seeing is we we just it's hard to get that experienced teacher in there. Whenever we start looking at self-containment, we try to find somebody to just fill that position. And that's not good on that end because, you know, we're, we just get some of the greenest people. And, and are we actually giving that child the best education within? Yeah, that no, I think that's true in a lot of places, unfortunately. And I think it shouldn't be true because I personally think that in general, those are the most fun kids to teach. I love teaching those kids. Like I, I'm not saying it's easy because it's not, but it's a different kind of teaching. It's not nearly as much at math, science, ELA, social studies as it is. Please and thank you and good morning and yeah. nice to meet you and how to shake a hand. Right. Or how yeah. to be one of my favorite ones that I used to teach my students was how to act interested when you're bored. Right. My kids, my students were always the students that when they were bored, they had to show everybody how bored they were. Right. Yeah. So like they would come in and their head down, whatever. This is so dumb. And I would tell them, listen, you could be bored. I don't care if you're bored. Nobody actually cares if you're bored. But why do you got to show everybody your job? I used to tell them your job is to be the one in the room who's the most bored and acts the most interested. You yeah. think you could do that? Right. And like challenging them to do that. And next thing you know, you're working on these skills and the skills. Right. Are really what these kids need because they haven't had them developed other places. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It is, it is, you know, working on life skills. They just don't, they, they show out and it's like, you know, just like you're saying, you know, learn to be bored and look interested. I mean, that's going to happen everywhere throughout life. There's going to be, we're putting that situation. (laughs) Me, I used to have to do that at staff meetings. I used to take a marker and I would write the word shut up on my hand And I would sit there like this and just look at it the whole time to remind myself, just shut up. Like just, there would be so much absurd stuff that I would often hear that I would just be like, I don't feel like dealing with it. I don't want to get into it. Just remind myself. Right. But sitting there going like this, right. (laughs) When you're bored and like kind of, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh And then you get back to your room and you shut your door and you teach those kids. Right. And like, those lessons, I think, are the most important ones for kids to learn. And when you can learn those skills, once you have those skills, then I could teach you a little math. Then we yeah. can mix in a little ELA. All the content comes next. People yeah. over product. I always say people over product, right? Kids over content. It doesn't mean you don't focus on the content. It means you focus on the person first. The yeah. person is always the most important thing. Teach the kid. Don't teach the math. Teach the kid. And what that means is sometimes I'm going to teach them math. Other times it means I'm going to teach them whatever they need to learn. And in education, there's there's like those two things that live at the same time. There's what I'm supposed to teach and there's what kids need to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And when those two things line up, meaning what I'm supposed to teach is also what they need to learn. Teaching's at its easiest. Yeah. The problem right now in education, though, is they're on opposite coasts, right? What I'm supposed to teach is in New York. What they need to learn is in L.A. and the teacher oh, yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think so many teachers get stuck on, I, I have to teach what I'm supposed to teach, you know? And, Correct. And, and they get these kids in here that aren't aren't ready to go to the West Coast. They're, they're, they're on the East Coast, Correct. you know? 
So it's one of those things that are trying to teach, you know, the teachers to understand that concept. It's hard though, because as a teacher, right, the pushback that teachers say to me is, yeah, okay, like sounds good in theory, right? But like, what if my administrator comes in or what if like this person, you know, sees me doing it and I'm not supposed to be doing that. And what I always say is I hear you, right? But like, kind of like in sports, right? Sometimes you got to audible. Like sometimes you have to just get to the line of scrimmage. It's like you have your play call. You ran the, you called the play in the huddle. The play went a certain way in practice and you did it that way. And all of a sudden you get to the line of scrimmage. You're like, uh-oh, this thing isn't going to work, right? And like, there's something to be said for being under center with the confidence to say, yeah. we're going deep. Like I know we were supposed to run it, but we're going deep because running yeah. is not going to work. And the thing is the easy move, right? The easy move is to just hand it off and lose five yards. Well, because then you can't get in trouble. And well, that was the play that the coach called and that's what we were supposed to do. Right. And so yeah. that's the easy thing to do. The hard thing to do is say, I know, I know all of those things. Right. And what I would say to administrators is, your job as an administrator is to give a teacher a confidence to audible, right? So like you're the coach as the administrator. So as the coach, if I audible and I throw a pick six and they run it back for a touchdown, you're still going to applaud me. You're going to yeah. say, it's cool. I saw what you did and you took a shot and I appreciate you taking a shot. When that message is delivered to teachers, it's often much easier for them to go this route. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I see a lot of teachers that, that say the same thing. They're so concerned about their administrators coming in there or judging them, at, you know, at a, at a bad level. And, you know, some of the things that I, I tell them as well is that, hey, look, you know, that's why we have a team approach when we're dealing with some of the toughest kids. You know, they, they understand that they have you have a kid in there that is one of the toughest kids and and not everybody's going to be successful with that kid. So it, it is also trying to go in and, and coach the administrator up as well. Because I'll, I'll run into several administrators that are, you know, first year administrators. You know, maybe they came out of a PE, PE teaching class or they've came out of a food prep class. And, you know, they're <laughs> to, to special education, you know, and, and it's it's completely different as well. So you start seeing some of the the frustrations on their their side because, you know, their teachers struggling within the classroom and, and they don't know the answer. So it, a lot of it is coaching up each individual on how to deal with the situations. No question. No question. And, you know, and, it, and it's given every kid a fresh chance. It's deciding that every moment's a new moment, you know, for every hour is a new hour. It's hard. I think grudge holding often hurts the person who holds the grudge more than the person you're holding it against. And I think for kids, it always has to be a clean slate. I'm not saying that's always easy to do, but yeah. I think a lot of this isn't easy to do. And I think a good rule to sort of remember and live by is that like, if it's easy, I don't really want it anyway. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Easy things don't really excite me anyway. Yeah. I mean, e uh, easy gets boring. I mean, you know, I, I've been in easy situations and, and you can figure that out real quick and then there's no challenge there. So let me just clarify, like when I say easy, like I'm for easy within the hard, right? Like, yeah. so like, for example, if I'm doing like a really hard workout, I don't mind like a little break where there's like an easy exercise within the hard, right? So like yeah. easy within hard is good. But look, for me in my life, I, I just turned 46 and I'm at the age now where like, 
if I do something in my life and it doesn't or it can't or it doesn't have the ability to produce the feeling of accomplishment, you know what I mean by the feeling of accomplishment? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The feeling of accomplishment is that feeling that you get when you push through something. And I think a lot of teachers are getting toward the end of the year where they have every right to feel this feeling, right? The feeling of, uh, look at what I did, right? Like I pushed through probably the hardest year in the history of education, right? And I got to the end and I did it. And uh, like, you know, I did that workout. I completed that, you know, whatever that thing is, that's really hard to do. And I've gotten to a place in my life where if there's something to be done and it doesn't have the ability to produce that feeling. I don't usually want to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you, you got to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, there has to be something that, you know, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough, but it's doable. And then just to give you that sense of accomplishment, you know, it, it's when you start seeing that there's not an accomplishment, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where I, I see like breakdown from teachers because they don't they don't know what to do. They, right. they're, they're they're at the end. And when they're at the end, that becomes a whole different situation to handle. Yep. But I think the biggest mistake that a lot of teachers make is when they feel exhausted, when they feel burnt out, when they feel sort of at their wits end with a kid, they often focus, right? Their focal point is on changing the kid and yeah. making the kid better. And I don't think that's the right focal point. No. I think the right focal point is focusing on myself, right? Like, like for example, right? Am I showing up every day to try to get that kid to be more respectful? Yeah. Or am I showing up every day working on being respectful to disrespectful people. Yeah. Right? Look yeah. at the difference, right? Yeah. One of them is I'm showing up every day to try to change somebody else. I'm going to make you more respectful. The other one is I don't care how you act. It actually doesn't even matter. In fact, I prefer you to be disrespectful a little bit today. I prefer yeah. it because if no one's disrespectful to me, then how can I work on the skill of being respectful to a disrespectful person? I need someone to disrespect me in order to work on that skill, right? And yeah. so, but when you show up with that mentality, all of a sudden your mindset changes, right? Because you come in and you're like, yeah, the kid called me a name. Cool. I, yeah. I don't care. It's not, it doesn't bother me. And I'm not saying I'm, I want that, right? But it doesn't bother me. And why doesn't it bother me? Because there's things I'm always working on within myself to try to improve me. And when we make that the focal point, that's where you often see the change. And what I always say to teachers is trust the process, right? Trust the process that when I focus on changing me, right? Like I said before, being respectful to a disrespectful people or being kind to an unkind person, right? I always see teachers talk about how kind they are. And, and I believe that 99% of them are. But sometimes I walk down the hall of a school and I'll hear someone who says that they're kind, not being very kind to a kid. And I'm like, well, wait, are we just kind to kind people, <laughs> right? Or are we kind, right? Which one is it? And when I focus on me, right, at all times, you know, hearing it differently. I'm working on a rewrite of my book, That One Kid. And one of the things that I'm writing about in there is the mumble under the breath. You know what I mean by the mumble under the breath where like you say, knock it off or cut it out or please be quiet to a kid and you start walking away. And as you're walking away, right, they're kind of like, hey, stupid, dumb, you hate your guts anyway. You're like a skinny, bald, you know, fat ass, blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, they call you all the names under the breath. Right. And like, 
in those moments, there's options, right? Like, am I the person who stops and turns and asks the single dumbest question ever invented in the history of education? What'd you say to me, young man? Or what'd you say to me, young man? Because yeah. you already know what they said. Yeah. Right? And the last yeah. thing we want them to do is repeat it. I mean, we yeah. already know what they said. So hear it differently. And I was writing about this, like, just pretend for a second, like imagine that the kid mumbles this. Like, I know what they said is inappropriate. We all agree on that. But imagine they mumble this. Excuse me, Mr. Mendler, but right now I got to call you a couple names under my breath because if I don't, I'm going to look like a wimp in front of the entire class. And I can't look like a wimp in front of the entire class. Everyone knows that. So could you please be the mature adult with a college degree and continue walking away from me? Because I have to eat lunch with them and I have to ride the bus with them and I have to be on the playground and I have to be around them all day long. After all, Mr. Mendler, what do you tell us to do when someone calls us a name on the playground? Yeah. You tell us to just turn and yeah. walk yeah. away, right? Well, how yeah. come you can't? Yeah. After all, Mr. Mendler, what do you tell us to do when someone says something that's that we don't like? You tell us to just ignore it. Well, how come you can't? And if you did, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Like, if a kid mumbled that, would anybody ever go marching back? And the thing is, like, I think that that's exactly what they're saying in the only way they can say it. They can't say it any other way sometimes, right? So they call me a name or two under their breath. And, like, my response to that as a teacher was whatever, whatever, yeah. right? Sometimes that's going to be a thing where kids do that. Yeah, I mean, that's completely changed. That's a mind shift. And 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 that's coaching them, you know, coaching teachers and administrators up on that type of stuff and putting it in that different perspective. To be honest with you, that's the first time I've heard that perspective ever. And, you know, it's I, it bring, is, I always bring something new to the table. Man. That's how I roll. <laughs> and, and, and I honestly think that's why it needs like everything when we deal with some of our toughest kids, it is a team approach. We start, you know, utilizing different ideas from each other. And it's just like you taking that negative situation and turn it around into a, a positive situation. And a lot of times people don't hear that. And when they hear that, it's like, oh, man, the, that's a great idea. Now you've taken that situation and put it in a perspective of taking the, the adult to put it in uh, so that adult can put it in or be in that right. kid's perspective. You know, to the thing that I just did, right? The pushback that I sometimes get from teachers is, yeah, but like, that sounds good in theory, right? But if I let one kid mumble about me, aren't they all going to think that's okay? And yeah. like, yes and no, right? And so the way to handle that, what I always say, the way to handle that is just tell your kids, like, tell them early in the year, listen, listen, y'all, some of you in this class this year, I know this is going to happen because I've been teaching for a long time and it happens every year of my life. Some of y'all in this class are going to do and say some rude, nasty, inappropriate, not nice, mean things. I know you are. How do you know, Mr. Mendler? Good question, little eight-year-old. It happens every single year of my life, right? I just want to let you know right now that if and when it happens, and I hope it doesn't, but if and when it does, and I always would say this to my class, I will not always be stopping my lesson to deal with it. Yeah. It doesn't mean I didn't hear it because there's a good chance I did hear it. And it yeah. doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything about it because there's a good chance I will do something about it. However, listen closely. In the moment that something happens in our class, like when something happens in our class, sometimes to some of you, it might look like I'm ignoring a behavior. That's how it might look to some of you. But I promise I'm not ignoring it. It just means I think teaching the 10 of you, the 12 of you, the 15 of you, the 28 of you that are not being inappropriate is more important than stopping for the one or two of you who are. Right. And now like that you tell them that ahead of time when it happens, 
nobody really flinches, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah, Mr. Miller ignores behavior all the time. Mr. Miller walks away from stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, don't worry, y'all. Mr. Miller, he handles it on his own time later on, and it's not really our business, right? Like, that's how the kids start to react to each other, which takes that whole, they're all going to think it's okay, which I think is an overrated concept anyway. I don't think most kids say that. I think most kids say, what's that kid's problem? I don't want to be like him. What's what the hell's wrong with him is what I think most kids say. But for the few that don't, that's how you handle them. And by the way, what I just said to the kids, I say the same exact thing to the parents. Right. So always early in the school year, what I say to all the parents is I just want to let you all know right now that this year in this class, some of your children might do and say some rude, inappropriate, not nice, mean things. And I want to let you know right now that if and when that happens, and I hope it doesn't, parents, I hope it doesn't. But if and when it does, I won't always be stopping my lesson to deal with it. Doesn't mean I didn't hear it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything about it. It just means I think teaching those of your children that are not being inappropriate is more important than stopping for the one or two of them who are. Right. And now that parents know that I'm going to be that way as well. So that way, if a kid comes home from school and mom's like, how was your day, Johnny? Right. And Johnny's like, well, it was good, but you're never going to guess what happened. Fifth period gets kid called Mr. Mendler a dick right to his face. And you know what Mr. Mendler did about it? Nothing. Can you believe that, mom? If your kid ever says that to you, what I'm encouraging you to say back to them parents is, Actually, interesting. It looked like Mr. Mendler didn't do anything about it. That's how it looked to you. But he already told us sometimes things like that were going to happen and he would deal with it when he thought was best. Right. Thank you for not being inappropriate. And you literally teach the parent what to say to their own child in that situation. Yeah. And that that goes back to that. Those, you know, giving those expectations, teaching those expectations. Because I think, you know, when you teach that as well to the parent and have those expectations, then you're not going to get that phone call saying, hey, you know, you know, my kid's not learning in your class because little Johnny is always calling you a dick or whatever and you're not doing nothing. And it's just giving those expectations up front to say that, hey, you know, we are taking care of business up here. So no question. So you said you played baseball in college, correct? I did. I did. Position. I was a pitcher. I, I had the righty or lefty. The, the Tommy John surgery. Oh, that's so. But that actually nowadays everybody has that surgery, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it a took, lot of careers. It, it took me four years to get over it. So I mean, I wasn't even able to throw a baseball after that, and then finally, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. So. Did you coach baseball as well? I did coach baseball. Man, I, I was. It was my second year in. I, I went down to Houston. And I was supposed to be the JV coach, and we were we were a 4A school district at the time, then moved into a big 6A school district. So the, the head coach, he quit. He ended up getting a job in the oil field. So I ended up moving into the varsity assistant. And, man, I'll tell you one thing. We, it was – What district? What district were you at? I was uh, – uh, do a ton of stuff in the Houston area. You were in the Houston area? Are you in the Houston area now? Dickinson – Clear Lake area. We played a lot of the Clear Creek teams, and it just you know we had kids on our team. We they were they were throwing about seventy eight miles an hour compared to kids that were throwing like ninety five, ninety three. Right, I know. High school sports in Texas is just ridiculous. I mean, it's another level of good. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, you know? I mean the 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 you should see the stadium. I'm sure you've I've seen them, dude. I've seen them. Like full blown stadiums. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're D one type. 
stadiums. And they sell them out. They sell oh, them yeah. out. Yeah. Alabama, too. I, I did a lot of work with Hoover High School in Alabama. Do you know Hoover? So Hoover was, remember the show uh, Two-A-Days on MTV? I don't know if you remember that show about the football coach, Rush Probst. Hey, there's that your daughter? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hello, young lady. How old are you? Seven. Seven. I have an eight-year-old daughter. Yeah. What grade are you in? First grade. First grade. All right. So you're finishing first grade right now. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about first grade? <laughs> Math and science. Yeah. Do you know that you're missing a couple of teeth? What happened to them? <laughs> They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> did, the tooth, did, did the tooth fairy come to Texas? Yes. What's the tooth fairy pay these days? <sighs> An arm and a leg. <laughs> oh, inflation is everywhere, right? Inflation is everywhere, including the tooth fairy. She even gave me $40 before at my daddy's house. Wow, that's incredibly impressive. That's incredibly Twice. impressive. Nice. Yeah. nice. Oh. Do you have brothers and sisters? I am going to have one in July. Oh, congratulations. You having a baby? Yes. Exciting. You know what you're having? A boy. A boy. All right. So you're going to get a little brother. Are you excited How for that? I you know it's going to be a girl. <laughs> <She wanted. laughs> you're hoping it was going to be a girl? That's all right. I have a little baby boy, too. So I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 1-year-old. So oh. crazy. I yeah. have a, I have a COVID baby. <laughs> I do. I do. I, well, I was living in New York, man. I don't live in New York anymore. But I was living in New York when they shut everything down. And they shut everything down. Like, yeah. literally. It was, and we didn't have nothing to do. So we all started doing more of that. Yeah, yeah. Day, you're like, oh, shoot. Uh, <laughs> uh, later. Oh, shoot. Right. I, I saw that you moved over to the Florida area. Well, you know how it's going to be, though, right? Like, if you teach, like, second grade, right, second grade, or, like, eight years from now, you're going to get your class roster. You're going to be like, COVID Johnson, where you at, COVID? Yeah. Corona Smith, are you here? Knock it off, Moderna. Like, these are going to be the names of the future. You watch, right? Exactly. (laughs) Imagine a kid named Moderna, like, telling (laughs) him to knock it off, right, or, like, cut it out. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we moved to Tampa like nine months ago. It's awesome here. I love it. Night, yeah. I mean, 90 degrees today. Just the best. I, I've been down to Florida a few times. We went to Disney during what the pandemic. That was pretty interesting. But <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I like that picture. Girl, girl. I like that picture. You, 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 you want all the attention. She wants all the attention. That's how it goes. Anyway. All right, man. Well, listen, these half hours go quick. Anything else that you want to leave people with? I mean, my biggest thing is, you know, always, you know, when you deal with those tough kids, make sure you go back to your team approach. Um, (laughs) You know, communication is everything. And, you know, never be scared to ask for help or advice because somebody out there is going to have it. That could be your, your, your closest colleague or somebody within the district. So just don't ever be scared to ask. No question. No question. No question. And and I think along with that goes the willingness to grow and the willingness to yeah. get better. And, and the foundation of that has to be that you already believe that you're good, right? Yeah. Like you have to already have a belief somewhere inside of you that you're good enough, yeah. right? Yeah. And once yeah. that belief is there, then there's often could be a much more of a willingness, right? During that time, say, you know, I'm interested and willing to learn and grow. Yeah, I agree. 100%. 
never get down on yourself. I mean, there's going to be times that that, that you're going to be in those tough situations and you definitely need to surround yourself with good mentors and and positive people. Uh, No question. So agreed. All right, man, listen, it was a pleasure. Good seeing you. Good meeting your daughter. Good luck with your baby, man. It's awesome. Thank you. You guys pumped for it? Well, oh yeah, we're excited. We're we're we're, uh, we're over the the moon excited. Right. Nice. <laughs> All right. All right, buddy. Good seeing you, man. All right. All right. Josh Roos, y'all. Now it's just me. They told me that I should do a few minutes by myself. So I wanted to just kind of clarify what I meant earlier by looking at ourselves and looking in the mirror. You know, I think that that is the fundamental piece of the puzzle that is often missing. In general, right, when we look at behavior, it's often external focused, right? That's sort of the thought process is, you know, how do I change the kid? And look at how behavior is done most of the time in school, right? The process of behavior is kid misbehaves, right? Teacher writes a referral, kid gets a consequence. What's the consequence? Something like warning, detention, phone call home, in-school suspension, suspension. I'm not criticizing or judging those things. I think there's a place for those things. That said, notice the common denominator between all of them focuses on changing the kid, right? Change the kid, change the kid, change the kid, change the kid. When that doesn't work, and it frequently doesn't, and we know that it doesn't because basically every bit of research points to the fact that it's always the same kids in trouble, right? So if it's always the same kids in trouble, The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting something different. So what do we do next, right? We turn to things like tickets and stickers and rewards and catch you being good, things like that. And again, I'm not judging or criticizing those things. I think there's a place for those things. That said, right, notice the common denominator between all of them, right? All of them, again, focus externally. Change the kid, change the kid, change the kid, change the kid. And nowhere in there is there any type of process built in that allows me to just walk in every day focusing on one or two things that I can do, right? I'm not going to get offended when that kid calls me a name, right? I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to ignore. I'm going to focus on all of these things that I can do, right? Instead of focusing on all the things that I can do to change another person. And when we do that and when we're willing to do that, it becomes much more empowering. So That's my little message for today. Y'all, I appreciate everybody who listens and tunes into these things. Don't forget to rate, download, subscribe, review, leave a little comment on here. More comments, the better. I know there wasn't a ton of people watching today or hit that like button. That does help for sure if you can do that. And for everybody else, thank you. Oh, I am. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't know if there was anyone actually really listening to me live or I was actually talking to myself. So thanks, Katie. It's a good shirt, right? Representing. I know. Always represent. I don't know where the hat's from. I should know where the hat's from as well, but I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. So thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. You're the best. All right. Well, I'll stay on. If you guys want to talk to me a little bit, now when teachers think that, yes, no question, no question. And they are good enough. And this year, good enough is showing up and giving everything you have, right? If those two things are happening, meaning you're showing up like consistently, I'm not saying you can't take a day off here or there, but I got a second grader and a fourth grader, right? The first thing I say to them when they get home from school, it used to be the first thing I used to say to them was, how was your day? That was the thing I used to say to my kids. I don't say that anymore. I don't say, how was your day when they come home, right? The first thing I say is, was your teacher there? 
And that's because, right, my daughter's teacher quit this year, four weeks into the school year, second grade. My son's teacher quit the day before Thanksgiving. I had her on my podcast, right? So in my house, we've lost both of my kids' teachers this year to the profession. And I'm not judging or criticizing them in any way. People got to do what they got to do. I totally understand and I totally get it. That said, it changes you when that kind of thing happens. And it really makes you the focal point change, right? And the focal point for me now is consistency for my kids, right? Just knowing that that person's there every day, or if they're not there, we know why they're not there and when they're going to be back. And like, you know, like you would with a parent or with somebody that that is an important figure in your life. And so the quitting the profession thing is happening everywhere. And my take on that is, again, like I said, I understand it. I get it. It's incredibly challenging time. I will also say that I don't think the grass is always greener. I think sometimes we often think that the grass is going to be greener somewhere else. And I'm not saying it's not right. I mean, I I would be a hypocrite because I did leave the classroom full time and I'm still in education. Right. But I left the classroom full time. So Again, I would never judge anyone or criticizing any, anyone for do it. What I will say is, though, right, there's a lot of hidden things that I think a lot of times people don't see, right? Like when you work for yourself or you go work for another company, I mean, there's nobody that gives me health insurance. I have to pay for my own, right? If my kids are sick, I don't get to miss a day of work. I don't get to take a day off from work. There's no sick days in what I do now, right? Like I don't have a retirement, right? I know some teachers don't have retirement, but most do, right? Have a good, pretty solid retirement. I don't have that, right? So like there's a lot of things that I think sometimes, you know, we look at the day-to-day grind and we're like, man, I'm exhausted. Man, this is overwhelming. Man, this is crazy. This is so challenging. And it is. All of those things are true. What I am also saying is, though, I think every job's got components of that. I think every job's got components of annoyance and aggravation and ridiculous leadership and terrible decision making, right? Like, I think there's a lot of really good things about teaching. What I think is the best thing is the autonomy. I always look, I know I taught self contained, so it's a little different when you teach self contained. I get it. But like, I always felt like when I got in my room and shut my door, I was able to teach. I'm not saying administrators don't get on your case sometimes, but I've never met an administrator who walks around school knocking on doors saying, excuse me, I don't see enough of your kids, right? Your kids aren't in trouble enough. Send me more of them because I have nothing to do in my office, right? Like that doesn't happen. And so the reality is if I'm in my room and my kids are learning, I found for the most part, administrators left me alone, right? Which was kind of exactly what I wanted. So my point is that, I know it's incredibly difficult. I know it's incredibly challenging, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And I think, again, sometimes it's easy to just focus on the negative, right? I want to also say that I think social media has become an amplifier of the negative in general. I think Twitter has become a place to complain, right? The way to get a lot of likes and a lot of retweets and a lot of comments is to complain, right? And so that gains traction. And when that's a thing, that becomes really contagious, you know, everywhere we go. So, you know, my point is, 
Try to focus on the good stuff, right? Focus on the impact that you guys have had on kids this year, on the changes and the growth that you've seen some of these kids get. And and the academic piece will come along, right? And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, that's how this thing goes. And what matters the most right now, whatever, a lot of y'all have whatever, 15, 20, 25 days of school left. The only thing that I would be focused on, one thing I'd be focusing on right now, from now to the end of the year, I'd be focusing on one thing. You know what that is? My legacy. That's it. How am I going to be remembered? When it's all said and done, right? 15 days from now, 20 days from now, eight days from now, whatever the ending is for you, right? It's all done, right? The behaviors are over. The disruptions are over. The inappropriateness is over. The name calling is over. All of it's done. And so when it's done, what's left? What's left? And the only thing that's left is how people remember you. My grandmother, I'll leave you all on this. My grandmother used to have a saying, God bless her soul, right? She's gone now. I love that woman, man. She died when I was 24. So I got 24 years with her on this earth, which is, I think that's solid, right? For a grandma. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky, I think, to get 24 years. But my grandmother used to say, you know, when they put you in the ground, they don't put anything in there with you. And what she meant by that was, None of it matters. Like the house, the car, the jewelry, the, the nice clothes, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is when it's over, how will they remember you? And she used to say, she, my grandmother used to say, if you were to die tomorrow, right? Which this used would say this to our family. If you were to die tomorrow, would they be lined up at your funeral? Right? As a teacher, I used to think about this. If I died tomorrow, would they have to close down the school and the town and everything around it because everybody wanted to come? Everybody would be like, oh my gosh, that dude, we got to go. We're going to miss him so much. Or would there be most people going, good riddance, right? And if it's the latter, that's what you focus on for the rest of the year. Make sure it's not, right? Because you define right now, you decide the actions we all take for the rest of the year, those actions completely decide how we're going to be remembered for the rest of our career. And man, that's a powerful thing. Anyway, thank you for joining y'all. I'll be back with you same time in two weeks. I'll be back with you same time in two weeks. Until then I say peace, peace, peace. I'm out of here. Bye everybody. Thanks for joining. See you soon.